Second Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 to 17. Again, Second Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 to 17. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for the salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We have ended our journey in the epistle to the Hebrews, and it was an amazing journey. And many of us have put in the time and the effort and the energy to understand and to dissect what the author was saying from start to finish. As I keep mentioning, we are students of the word, but not only students. Specifically, we are contextual students of the word. We do not interpret a verse out of its context. We, don't, we are not quick to put meaning to a verse based on our background or our immediate impression of it. We delay our impression of it, so we take time. We take time to understand what the author is saying. And how do we do that? We study the historical context and the literary context to understand it. And then we look at how we interpret that first within its own book. Before we cross-reference to other books of the Bible, we cross-reference within the book, within the epistle, for example. And only after that do we connect to other verses. And I mentioned that some of us become lazy by relying on our few memorized verses and trying to connect it with every verse we know. And uh, we should not be lazy. We have to take the time to really study and analyze because... The Word of God is inspired by God. Inspired by God in what sense? No, not every verse has a secret meaning. It has one meaning. As the author wrote to address situations and had the intention to write, it's that intention which is inspired by God. So if we study the Bible by putting our own meaning, that is dangerous. A friend of mine sent me manuals of, of Bible study lessons, and he, she was asking my opinion. And I said, I'll never recommend this, even if this is popular. I don't know if it was popular. It was popular in a certain megachurch. And I said, I will not recommend. Why? Just look at one lesson. The verses are all over the place. And we don't e- some of them don't even connect properly. And then there's that section, how to interpret scripture. It was so short. And you know what they said there? Just pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you to interpret the word. And that was it. I said, oh, 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 oh. Recently, I was listening to some good teachers. 
and they were talking about the heroes of the Reformation. If Hebrews 11 would be extended, you would extend there people like uh, Martin Luther, John Huss, John Calvin, John Knox in that certain period. And um, he said there's one thing about something in common with these reformers. Um, Many of I think all of them were ordained priests, but there's a big difference. All of them were university professors. They were all scholars. They could question what is being taught, and they were able to analyze Scripture. Now, I came from a Christian background before I learned to study God's Word, where uh, all you need is the Holy Spirit, and that's all you need. And, uh, and human knowledge, we, we even called it human knowledge, the study of God's word as human knowledge. It's all human knowledge. And the supreme thing is uh, what the spirit is saying to you. And that's why we have so many cults right now. And that is the birth of false teaching and cults. Because what we know must be validated. And we have to study not only parts of scripture, but all scripture. The topic for today is scripture inspired by God, but the text is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Paul wrote 2 Timothy, or his second letter to Timothy, in a Roman dungeon. The letter was Paul's last letter before his death in A.D. 67. The apostle updated the young apprentice of his situation to make Timothy aware. Aware of what? That he believes he's about to die. And he wants Timothy to come quickly. Bring my cloak, come quickly. And he was making him aware. But aside from that, he was giving Timothy reminders of what it means to be a worker, a servant of God. Now, Paul was concerned about sound doctrine. Paul was always concerned about sound doctrine. In fact, if you read the context before verse 14, uh, Paul was again warning Timothy about false doctrine. And um, you see, if Paul was so concerned, not only Paul, Jesus was concerned, and uh, John was concerned And these New Testament writers, except for one letter, all of them were concerned about false teaching, especially Jude. The short letter is just addressing false teachers. And you know, the more you study scripture, the more you realize each one is prone to false teaching. What is false teaching? Teaching that is not according to scripture, but we think it's according to scripture. And that's dangerous. You think it's biblical, but it's not biblical once you analyze and criticize it carefully. So not everything we hear as popular is, this, is already God's word. So I invite our congregation to be a learning congregation, to be a good critics in a good way, not in an evil way, but in a good way, to critique us, your preachers. And not only us, yourself. Most importantly, the self. If you are your own worst critic, you are not easily offended by the criticisms of others. Oh, that, that's true. But if you are full of ego, your ego is so inflated, 
that what you think is always right and you put all emotion into what you think and if somebody corrects you, you easily crumble, you easily hurt. It means your ego is just so inflated. But the servant of the Lord who studies says, I'm confident with what is clear in scripture. If something is not clear to me, I will hesitate in making final pronouncements. But what is clear in scripture, we will fight for it. But we have analyzed it. We have critiqued it. We believe that it is justification by faith and not by works. We know definitely it is by grace alone, not only in one part of scripture, but, but in general, you see the consistency of these themes. But stuff that are popular, but not necessarily biblical, we begin to question. We begin to question. And uh, how do you question? What's the basis? You must have a basis of the truth. It is just like how do you discover uh, false money? And the people who are trained to detect false money do not study all the types of, of false money. What do they do? They study the real money. They smell it, they taste it, they look at it, they feel it. So that when they touch or smell or see money that is not based on the actual money, then they would say, this is fake. The same way, that's why we study scripture. Because false doctrine is dangerous. Can it bring people to hell? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's that serious. In fact, those who believe in false doctrine, according to scripture, those were people who were judged by God. That's part of the judgment, believing in what is false. And you will see the ones who believe in it without study are those who really are proud. They're proud. I mean, they lift themselves up. They're gullible. They're ignorant and they're naive. So, Paul was saying he fought, well, he fought for sound doctrine all his life, but he was about to die. The young pastor should continue the fight in teaching old scripture. Old scripture. Now, my first point is what Paul said to Timothy is that he should continue. Paul instructed Timothy to continue in what he learned and what he firmly believed. Many of what Timothy believes, he learned from Paul. And you will see this in, in the earlier verses in chapter 3. But also from Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and mother, Eunice. And I find that interesting. And why don't we look at that first in verse 14. Let's read verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and uh, have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, who? Well, definitely from Paul. And you'll see that in chapter 1, that it was from Paul he learned many of these things. But, oh, I mean, in chapter 3, you'll see that. But in chapter 1, you see that his uh, two women in his life has greatly influenced him. And verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
One of the things my wife and I liked about some of the homeschool materials, because many of them were created by believers, uh, is that part of how they integrate the sacred writings into the different subjects, into the different subjects taught in the homeschool materials. Now, not all homeschool materials are like that, but we know at least two materials that part of it is really the child learning about the sacred writings early. There's something important about them learning it early. It's not waiting for them to grow older so that when they can understand, that's the time they learn, and you bring them to Sunday school, and then you're so over-dependent on church. And I'd like to say to you, the church and family are partners. As a community, we are a partner with each family here. But how do you grow a child? Um, well, the family must first teach the child the sacred scriptures, the sacred writings. Discipleship begins at home. The gospel must be very clear. And I hope you don't give a gospel of, a gospel of acceptance. I hope you now have learned that, that that word should be taken in the proper context in scripture. And, uh, and you don't see Jesus saying that, but you would often see the Jesus and the apostles speak about faith and repentance. And those are the words that we um, definitely must use. Now, from childhood, we have to teach them. But as they grow older, how is the community important? And this is my belief. To raise a child, it takes a community, not just one father and one mother and one lol or two lolos and two lolas and a bunch of aunties and uncles. Why? Because the things you learn in the family will circulate there. But I realize what I know is limited. My experience is limited. However, the community has more experience, so I wanted them to meet. And of course, I'd like to say that scripture, we must really teach them scripture. Let me give you a reality check for those of you who are new parents. You love your little angel. But the truth, biblically, that's a little devil. I'm not saying literal devil, meaning he's a sinner. She's a sinner like everybody else because scripture said all are sinners. So which means they need the gospel. You might see them as your little angel, but the truth is they're depraved, wicked sinners like everybody else. And unless you see them that way, that's the only time you will break this uh, this false world, this fantasy world that your kids are good boys and girls. You just don't know what they do online. If you understand what happens online, you'll see how terrible it is. And some of the things they do online, it goes to the real world. But parents have no clue because they know how to act like good boys and good girls. We don't take any chances. We keep repeating. I have to always make sure. Until today, you know, I would ask my children, are you truly saved? <laughs> what is the gospel? Explain to me. Again and again and again. Because I cannot save them. I trust in God's word, the gospel, and the Holy Spirit to save them. However, my role is to keep reminding them about the Holy Scriptures. Now, 
Timothy learned this when he was young. And there's something about planting the good seed of the word in the mind of a child. And they grow with it. Without the, without what? Without the legalism. When parents become Christians, the danger, if you don't understand scripture, you become a legalist. You're into do's and don'ts. You're into what can do and cannot do. But if you look at scripture, there are only a few things that you can do and cannot do. Well, not that few. We cannot commit adultery. You cannot steal. It's, it's the standard of, moral standard of the old applies in the new. Only Jesus made it clarified that it is actually more difficult. For example, uh, do not commit adultery. Jesus said, just lust in your mind. You've already, already committed adultery. So he even increased the standard, explained that no, the, the standard is actually higher, which means you are actually a real sinner, even if you try to deny it. Now, the, the person who does not understand the gospel or the scripture will say, I'm a good person, you know. There's some good in me. Um, well, the Bible said there's no one good. We're all sinners. And the good in you, as you think you are good, that's a definition on your own definition, but scriptural definition shows that you are not good. Are we capable of good works? Yes, but that's a different classification. Yes. But it's also true that you are guilty of at least one sin. Now, it's for children. Hey, Timothy, everything you learned from whom I think the mother, grandmother and the mother, Eunice and Lois, they played a critical role. That's why my belief, I'm teaching a class, doctoral ministry class in seminary online. Thank God for online stuff. We can now share blessing to others. And, uh, um, and I mentioned the importance that women must understand theology. I don't like a women's ministry that just has fun doing women's stuff, and, but that's fine. As I like brothers doing brother stuff, that's fine. But the main thing we do is to study God's word. That is the main thing. And a church that does not make that the main thing is not a real church. It is a social club. Before our relationship with one another, it should be the word, why we come together. Yes, you are my friends, my brothers and sisters, but that's secondary. Some people think church primarily is the love and friendship we have. That's not primary. And the moment you understand that that's not the purpose of church, that is one of the benefits of church communities. That's just one benefit you can have. But that's not the main agenda. And the main agenda is still about God's word. And I, I do believe women should understand scripture. I don't mean that you have to all be scholars to go through a PhD. Some of you might, and I encourage women to do so if you want. But again, the importance of the mother teaching the right things. I hope mothers do not... If you are shallow in your mental, if your mind is shallow in scripture, your knowledge is shallow, you will produce children that are shallow. When it comes to the word, there's nothing there. If what you have is Christian tradition, but not actual study of scripture, 
you know, preachers that just connect three verses and they form a sermon. Oh boy. And some of these verses are not even properly interpreted and connected. And that's why people say, how come it's like this and like that? Oh, I do believe sin happens in church and we must, and the true Christian whose sins will repent. We do not say we will be sinless. But the right attitude would be to leave their sin and to repent. But then how come you even see arrogant sinners in church? They are not true believers. They think they are because they said a sinner's prayer. That's how they were oriented in the Christian life. And what I call churchianity rather than Christianity. That's how they were oriented and they think. They were taught the mannerisms. They were taught how to be emotional in worship. And they find that emotional fix a lot of times. When they feel down, they're looking for that emotional fix. I am not against emotions. Emotions must be surrendered to God and we must pour out our emotions to God. But again, it is not emotionalism. It's about the scriptures primarily. Emotions come next if it comes. Of course it does, but that's not the primary. Some people say, I can't feel God. You're talking about your emotions. You have to trust the word, whatever you feel like. Now, the scriptures are able to make Timothy wise for salvation, and clearly it's through what? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Timothy followed, Timothy followed Paul's teaching, vision, faith, patience, love, and perseverance, including persecution and suffering. He experienced this as well, and you can read that in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, the earlier verses. Now, Paul urged Timothy to continue in the faith, which is also learned from two godly women. Uh, do have chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt, dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. So the first is to continue. And then number two, Paul emphasizes all scripture. Paul reminded Timothy that all scripture, including the Old Testament writings, actually during that time, it's really the Old Testament writings, and the letters circulated among the churches, is what inspired by God. All scripture is beneficial for teaching, correction, and training. Let's read verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So it says here, all scripture. Now, we'll go to what all scripture means. Now, uh, but look at the, 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 the words that Paul used, breathed out by God. Now, other, other words were used like inspired by God in some translations because it seemed to be a more understandable thing for us. Uh, but I like what the ESV mentioned about breathed out. What does that mean? Now, it gives me the impression that God breathed into it so it came to life. It's, it's probably a, a, a reference or an inference on Genesis where he breathed the breath of life in man. He created man out of the, 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 the soil of the earth and, and then the dust of the earth and then uh, through that clay he formed man and then he breathed into man and he became a living being. And in parts of scripture, even uh, 
from from Jesus in John and you would see also in Hebrews that the word is truly alive and it is breathed out by God that's why many of us here experience a change we cannot explain it's something that the word does to us when we read it and when we study it there's something and we could say because it's alive God's word is alive it's not death dead God breathed into it it's alive. That's why those who are also alive in Christ respond to the word. It's alive. The word is alive. And we are alive in Christ and we respond to it. There is a call to one another. Some gave the illustration that it's like food. The human body must eat. Otherwise, after a period of time, the human body will starve to death. So the body calls out food, and the healthy person eats regularly. Of course, overdoing it can kill you as well, but that's a side note. But the human body looks for nourishment. Now, the same way the spiritual person in you should look for the word, because it's the food for your soul. If we're not eating or or, or consuming the word in our minds, in our hearts, then what happens? Well, spiritual starvation. You will grow weak spiritually. Therefore, you easily give in to whatever temptation is there. In fact, you look for it. You look for the sin right now. And from a, from a sin, uh, a seemingly harmless sin, well, we know that there's no such thing because these small things lead to more dangerous Type. The more, more dangerous types involve other people now, okay? like immorality or murder. It involves other people. So God breathed now all scripture. Now, during that time, they considered the Old Testament writings, not including the Apocrypha. Remember that around 500 plus uh, uh, AD, that that uh, the Catholic Church added parts of the Old Testament to justify purgatory and to justify, to strengthen salvation by works, which was not in the canon of the Jewish writings. Although the Jewish writings, or we call the Jewish Bible, is arranged differently the way we arrange our Old Testament. It is arranged differently, but we could say that the content is, is does not include. But these other writings are just other writings that we, they, would, they would refer to as part of literature. And we can read them and study them as part of literature, but we may not consider them as inspired. So that includes the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, how did they determine what is part of canon? Well, uh, in determining canon, that, that happened hundreds of years after, the, after Christ. But during the New Testament, the apostles wrote letters, and these letters were circulated, and these letters were considered scripture by the churches then. And they had their own filtering system to say what, is, what is, should be followed and what should not be followed. But again, there was a council that was, uh, was formed, I think it was around 300 plus uh, AD. I'll give you more details, but this is church history stuff, where they recognize that those that have been circulated for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, a few hundred years, and they would say, this is, there's some, the theme and the alignment is very strong in these 
writings of Scripture. And uh, it aligns both with the Old and the other New Testament books. So that is considered Old Scripture. Now, uh, Paul is saying all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So uh, verse 16 is a powerful verse. In fact, it's 3.16. I know some of you have memorized John 3.16 from Sunday school, but this is the second 3.16 that you have to memorize. All Scripture is inspired by God, or God breathed out to it, and it's profitable. Well, when I say profitable, it's not related to money. It's ben- it means it's beneficial, okay? So please do not be tempted to make money out of... Uh, you become a false teacher then if you make uh, money out of Scripture. Uh, well, God will judge you one day and you'll be in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. So... When you say profitable, it means it's beneficial for what? Beneficial for what? For teaching. Number one is to teach. So the scriptures must be taught. And it should be taught properly. Now, it's also profitable for what? For correction. Reproof. Reproof is correction. It's less like the the author was redundant. Reproof, comma, correction. So double emphasis on on reproof and correction. And then I, I keep saying, as a community, that's what we do. And it really happens in the small group. As we build our, our relationship through what? The study of God's word. But also we can eat together, as the scripture says, and learn, get to know one another. We keep hearing one another's prayer requests. It develops an, some intimacy, intimate knowledge between us. And we keep sharing our thanksgiving. It, it grows. And, and that's why I said the formula of the growth group, please, if you think it's too elementary, you are mistaken. That is the small building blocks. Week after week, we, meet, we actually get to know one another without even knowing it. And as we grow together, one thing that we should be doing is to correct one another. And... Uh, uh, we learn to welcome correction and said, oh, please do. Um, please do. I'm, I'm more than willing. But we also tell others that when you correct, make sure it's not based on human opinion, but based on scripture. If you think something is a sin, please look it up. Find it. Find the basis in scripture. And uh, we do, do, well, we advise, follow uh, the New Testament protocol. Don't Tell others about the sin of others. What do you do? Uh, You go and correct the person. If they do not repent, then you bring another one. And if they do not repent, then uh, then you tell your leaders. So there's this, this process in Scripture as well. But correction is very important. And the true believer would say, thank you for your comment. And I do suggest how should we correct each other. Uh, let me give you a script. And I, but I hope this script becomes not just a script, something real in you. Brother or sister, I'm not talking to you because I'm better than you or I'm perfect. In fact, if you see me do something that is not right, I would welcome you to call my attention and correct me. But if you don't mind, I have checked my own self to make sure I pass Matthew 7. You know what Matthew 7 is? Do judge and you will not be shut by how you measure. Uh, look at the log in your eye before you look at the speck in your brother's eye, meaning you have to look within as well. That 
I might be guilty of the same thing, but if I am, please tell me. But allow me to say that uh, this thing is not the right thing to do. This is a sin. So it's it's a correction not on a spiritual pride level that I'm better than you. Because once you understand that we are depraved human beings, only saved by grace, then you realize, yeah, I cannot be better than anyone. That's not true. If I think so, it's the world lying to me. Well, if you say in human metrics, in business, some people are better than others. Yes, maybe in terms of skill, in terms of, but not morality. Because there is no big sin or small sin. All are sinners. So in the area of moral purity and holiness, God knows we don't. We don't. All scripture. Now, God breathed on the Holy Scriptures. In other words, it is inspired by God. Therefore, therefore, all Scripture, not just parts of it, all of it. That's why we encourage you to read the whole Bible. And after you read the whole Bible, we encourage you to study it, the backgrounds of each book. And if you need references, we can show you references or books to read. We can advise you. Uh, as we are also building the library, uh, books are very expensive. So if we have books there... <laughs> You can check the price list online and you can see how expensive some of the books we're buying are. But it's something that we have to treasure, that we have to give time to. Um, yes, and one day the library will be open. We're still building a few more volumes. Uh, but all scripture is inspired by God. Therefore, all scripture should be taught. And that's why we teach it. We use chronological exposition because it should be taught and it should be studied. You know? And in what way it is, it is beneficial, again, through teaching, correction, and training in righteousness. Take note, teaching, correction, and the third, training. Put that in your mind, training. Training. So it's not just you hear it like a Bible study, you hear it and goodbye. No, the true shepherd would like to train us, himself and others, Learn with others to be trained, what? Righteousness. Because if we are saved by grace, justified by faith or through faith, then it says here that we are sanctified, meaning we grow in obedience, we grow in holiness. And that's the training part. And the Word of God trains us. It cannot be that after a year you're the same person. It cannot be after five years you're the same person. The Word must have changed you. And that goes through personal study, but also goes through, what, discipleship and mentors as well, as others mentor us or disciple us, or just keep reminding us. You know, the growth group is simply putting your focus always back on the text. And then we slowly change us, how we grow, how we participate in growth groups. Before, many of you just participate in growth groups because you just want to express There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the main part of the small group. (laughs) It's not self-expression. The main part is learning the word together. But then you grow, then suddenly it's less of you and more of the word. Before, ako, sa tingin ko, for me, my perspective, then you begin stopping those, saying those words and begin saying, oh, uh, this is what I observed in the text. Ah, there's now a difference between my opinion, between I see this in the text, don't you see it? Something shifts. 
So we grow in these small groups if we are teachable. But I hope we can be trained. Not everybody can be trained. That's also true in the secular. I think I've mentored a lot of people. When I, I mean a lot, I don't know how many now. Uh, but there's a difference. There are some people who do learn. And some people who don't learn. And there are some people who, who will learn, but not yet. Until they overcome some attitudes of, of knowing everything or knowing many things. You know, little knowledge is dangerous. Some people know a little, read a little, they think they know it already. You haven't known it unless you've looked at dif the different points of views and, and, uh, and studied it carefully and really took the time. But training, once you overcome that attitude and says, I want to learn, I want to learn. Okay, let me take note of that. And then you want to be trained, and then you train yourself. So what happens now? You give time to the study of God's Word. You're no longer lazy. You know, you have to fight the lazy brain. You know the lazy brain? The lazy brain shuts down. It wants to sleep when it hears something complex. I know what that means, because before, I couldn't make sense of a certain subject. And whenever the teacher is teaching, I fall asleep, because my mind is shutting down. Because my mind doesn't want to process the complex thing he is saying. But then I said, no, I have to learn this step by step again. So I went back to high school subjects. It's a good thing about the internet. You can go back to high school. There are websites that teach you that. So I went back to this subject again and painstakingly took many hours to understand until such time my brain doesn't shut down on the complex thing that somebody is teaching me. But some of us, because it's too complex, we want to simplify without going through the complexity. Now, we have to go through the complexity. We appreciate doctors who can explain to their patients. Doctors study amazing scientific stuff about the human body and, how, and medicine as well. These things are amazing, but when they talk to the patient, they have to explain it in the most simple Simplest of ways. But they cannot jump to simplicity without going through the complexity. What happens if you jump to the simplicity? We call that the quack doctor. Quack, quack, right? But somebody who studies through the complexity and then simplifies it. And that's, even, that's also the way to study scripture. Our mind should not shut down when it's complex. And that's why the Philippine church must grow up and become wiser, more intelligent, more knowledgeable about the word. We're not retreating because, and we give foolish reasons. I'm not smart. Nobody cares if you're smart. Are you willing to learn? Are we hungry to learn? Are we humble enough to say, I don't understand. Please, somebody explain this to me. The third point is equipped. Paul explained that all scripture is beneficial, especially in the maturity of people which also meant that they were equipped to do God's work. Thus, it is implied that Timothy must use or utilize all of Scripture. He must teach everything. Verse 17, 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete here meaning fully equipped also, and it's a redundancy. It's like, it's like it will make you mature or, or with, with complete. If you say what you need would be all the software and gadgets you need to teach, but also to live properly. Paul explained that through the Holy Scriptures, the man of God becomes proficient. The word complete there also means proficient in the word. Understanding the counsel of God, which prepares the man of God for God's good work. Application, well, apply what we learned consistently. We should remember all we learned from the Bible and continue to apply what we learned do not let it slip away. What you learn from childhood, some of you grew up in church. There's an advantage to that. Of course, there's a disadvantage to that. Because you never knew the world. It makes you really curious. And uh, sometimes dangerously curious. And uh, if you're curious, let's talk about your curiosity. And that's how in the small groups, if, if the small group leaders cannot handle a certain situation, they can ask for help from the pastors as well. Do not let it slip away. The world is full of distractions. We are distracted by... The phone distracts us every day. Can you assess how many hours you spend on your phone and computer? How many hours a day? Eight? Ten? Sixteen? Twenty-four? Sometimes it's 24. When you're young and you feel strong, you go 24 hours sometimes. But then the slow damage happens in your body. And as it accumulates, you're not even in your 40s. And then the sicknesses bite you. Because you've been damaging it slowly through many years. You don't feel it yet, but all bodies deteriorate. But you're going to feel it more. There's so much distractions, but we must remain focused on what we learn. We should never forget it. Let us be grounded in the Word of God, not in cliches, you know, cliches, Christian cliches. We just know God will provide. Well, amen, that's true. But you know that uh, there are also commands for obedience, like we give. Like we seek the kingdom first. So, so you, it's an incomplete statement when you say God will provide. Now when Paul said, my God will provide all your needs, he said it in Philippians. After what? After he received a gift. The man of God received a gift from the Philippian church. Then what was Paul's response? My God will supply all your needs. Because they were givers. You cannot just say God will provide. No, you put, you put it in the context of all of scripture. Which means, you know, why God gives us instructions, Old Testament and the New Testament, to give a portion of our income. You know why? Well, one of it is to, to always believe and trust God. Wow, if I remove, then I'll have less. But then you're supposed to be trusting God. And God still wants us to give even if we have little or if we have more. That is in Scripture, by the way. But some are inclusion cliches that are not explained in context. 
And so what happens? We want, Christian cliches are like sermonettes, you know, cute sermons, not real sermons. You know what a sermonette is? It's not a real study of God's word. Somebody just repeats and shouts hallelujah to excite people. Or they give, they preach God's word, and, but they have more examples on secular literature. The problem with sermonettes, it produces Christianettes who are not real Christians, just like Smurfet is not a real person. Next, we have to study the whole Bible. Let us pursue to understand all scripture, all the New Testaments. Why? Because God breathed upon the writers, which also means that he inspired them to write his will. The proper study of God's word is a continual process. Take note. Studying God's word is a continual process. And we need humility, reverence, the fear of God when we study it. Perseverance, desire, and discipline. Otherwise, we will not experience the blessings from the word. Those who are lazy will never be complete, will never be proficient. Therefore, please exercise diligence. How many in a week, how many hours do you give? Hours do you give in the study of God's word? How many? Reading and studying. How many hours? And then how many hours do you watch TV shows, TV series, YouTube channels? How many hours? Well, you have to answer that yourself. Or how many hours are you putting in your business and in the Word of God? So business is essential, but that cannot be first. You have to trust God. If you give less time to it and give more time to God without abandoning the responsibilities... Number three, teach God's word. Scripture equips the man of God who understands and the benefits of scripture, which includes teaching, correction, and training others in righteousness, including the self, by the way. Thus, the servant of God becomes equipped to do his good work. Let us receive the teachings of the Holy Scriptures, but let us also teach what we learned. Cannot just be coming in and no going out. All input, no output. There must be output from the input. We have to practice what we learned. We have to teach what we learn, and we have to practice it. There must be an output. That's why it's a misnomer. The Christian who just participates through attendance, and there at least you are attending and listening to God's word. That is the beginning, but you have to grow from there. If you never grow from there and your concept of Christianity is attendance, then you don't understand the Holy Scriptures. Please read it so you understand what God expects of us. But let us also learn to correct others. Yes, we have to be corrected. But how about correcting others in a gracious way? Some of us are too afraid 
to correct others because we, are, we will be unpopular or it's so uncomfortable. Again, you are making yourself the center, not the word. I might lose my friend. Okay, uh, well, he's not your real friend after you correct him and he hates you. That's not a real friend and she hates you. He's fake. That's why those who want to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. That's why pastors who the 100% of the congregation like him may not be preaching all of God's word. Hey, what are you, a pup? Politician? I mean, preach the hard stuff as well, as well as the good stuff. Well, we are trained in righteousness, and the beauty of being trained in righteousness, you know what? With all of Scripture, when you feel proficient and equipped, you feel that by God's grace, you are a tool that God can use anytime and anywhere as a tool to bless others. You become to understand that you are a representative of Christ, but you are not a cult. You are not the appointed single son of God on earth. You are one of God's children, and you have to represent your father on earth so that in particular situations, you know how to listen and what to say because of understanding scripture. You also know what to teach accurately your children as they grow up. Let scripture train us in righteousness, but let us also train others. And that's the point. God wants us, us, his children, to represent him in training others. And any person willing to listen to you, put time, reserve time and said, okay, Then we persistently invite people to listen to them so that they may listen to us and that we may all be trained in righteousness. All, of, all scripture is inspired by God. Now, these words are the words of a dying man. Paul was about to die. Second Timothy was the last letter he wrote. To his beloved partner in ministry, his mentee, someone he discipled. He traveled, this person traveled with him. They became friends. And he's writing his last letter. And his last letter was not about himself. <laughs> it's not all about me. It's about what? It's about the Word of God. It's about the Word of God. Let me share to you some poetry once again. And the title is Scripture Benefits. Preachers, parents, mentors, and friends, by providence people he sends to impart the holy scriptures, our mind and heart he restructures. Continue in all we have learned, all by God's grace, nothing we earned. Thus, in humility, we seek the precious truth all day, all week. The scriptures are God breathed upon, many writings yet seen as one.
from old to the New Testament, from creation until judgment. Beneficial to God's people, its claims are not at all subtle. Scriptures equip each believer to do the will of the Father. It's profitable for teaching and excellent for correcting, quite beneficial for training in righteousness and equipping. Let us all rise and let us pray. Lord, we pray that the Holy Scriptures would be center in our lives, in our families, and in our church community. It's all about the Scriptures, not about us. So teach us to stop rambling about us and learn to look on you by faith, that we stop rambling about how difficult life is, but start trusting in you, trusting in your purpose. Teach us, Lord, to stop justifying the wrong we do, but rather go to Scripture and says, Forgive me, Lord, I have wronged others, I have sinned. Transform me, Lord, through the Spirit and through the Word. May we remember all we learned and not slip away. May we understand all Scripture is alive, breathed by you, inspired by you. And we have to teach, we have to correct, and we have to train. Yet we pray, let us be taught, corrected, and trained, and allow us to do the same for others. And we pray for this community. May our correcting one another and teaching and training one another increase in our intimacy with you and with each other. That means, Lord, we pray that we mature in our perspective. And we're happy with that. That being corrected is part of life and growing, being trained is part of life and uh, being taught in the same way bring us to the level that teaching others, correcting others, and training others become part of life like the way we breathe, like how we eat and drink. It's like sleep. It becomes part of who we are as your children. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Good morning. God bless you.